business intelligence tooling allows analysts to see large quantities of data presented to them in a flexible interface, including charts, graphs, and other visualizations. BI tools have been around for decades, and as the world moves towards increased open-source software, the business intelligence layer is following that trend. Metabase is an open-source business intelligence system that has been widely adopted by enterprises. It includes all the common tools that are expected from a business intelligence system, large-scale data ingestion, visualization software, and a flexible user interface. Samir Al-Sakran is the CEO of Metabase and joins the show to talk about Metabase's engineering, design, and usage. We are looking for a writer and researcher to help with the preparation for these shows and also to write articles. If you're interested, send me an email, jeff at softwareengineeringdaily.com. Also, if you are building a software company, I'd love to hear from you. I'm an investor, and you can send me an email at jeff at softwareengineeringdaily.com. Thanks. Samir, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you. Pleasure to be here. You're the CEO of Metabase. Metabase is an open source BI system. Why does the world need another BI tool? There's so many of them. I mean, I'm not sure it really does. So I think one of the things about Metabase that's been interesting has been that we're trying to tackle, I mean, people use this for BI, certainly. I think one of the things that where kind of the Zen of Metabase shines is this idea of a lightweight way to just pull, create dashboards, share data sets, and have people work on them. I think if you had a pretty good idea of what you want to measure, who's going to consume it, and why, they've been really great tools for about 50 years. I think the main space that we're trying to kind of clean up or make easier to use is this idea that I don't necessarily know what I'm measuring yet. I start an app, I need a quote dashboard, but I don't really know what's in there. And that honestly, what's in there is gonna change over time. And so a lot of the way we think about Metabase is not so much creating a crisper you know, set of artifacts people consume, but more creating a system that lets them poke and prod and just explore. And the BI use case falls out of that. There are these generations of BI tools, like every five or 10 years, there's a new generation of BI tool. And as you said, you're not exactly a BI tool, but could you give me some of the context of the modern age that makes Metabase useful? Yeah, so there are a couple pieces to it. One of them has been this last generation of BI tools has largely been centered around the idea of decoupling from data warehousing. So back in the 90s, you'd buy a, you know, a big data warehouse in Teradata or Oracle, wherever else. You'd have another equally big monolithic just business intelligence suite. Then came kind of like the first wave of Cloud BI with good data, clear story, and kind of that generation where... Um, there was a data warehouse, and you threw bits up into the sky, you moved things around, you had ingest, you had transformations, and then you also had visualization. I think what happened with, I'd say, the rise of Redshift or BigQuery is that you're not going to write a better data, data warehouse than one of them or Snowflake. And so in general, there's been this decoupling. Um, every once in a while, you see the pressures of kind of customer demand push people back into an in-memory data store or something else like that. But for the most part, there's been a strong decoupling. And so that's one piece of it where, you know, Metabase is just a data viz layer on top of whatever data you bring to it. And we try to be fairly database agnostic. 
Oh, so the other piece of it is just this idea that software wants to be consumed in an open source fashion. And so I think for many people, they start their software search with GitHub and not with vendor calls. And I think that's becoming a bigger and bigger way that people both discover what to use and make choices. And so I think one of the big pieces of Metabase has been, we're trying to create something where if you're trying to set up a just data infrastructure and you need that next step, we'll be up and running in a few minutes. And so a lot of the kind of promise of Metabase is we're the laziest possible option. And that if you don't necessarily, again, know precisely what you're looking for quite yet, you should still set us up. Like we're not something that you add when everyone needs a tool with that tool you add before there's really a tool needed. Okay. So as you said, data warehouses are great these days. We've got the data warehouse technology that we need and you're focused on the presentation layer. So let's say I plug my data warehouse into Metabase. What happens? Oh yeah. So once you connect Metabase to your database or your data warehouse, or even just a flat SQL light or H2 file, we will kind of do a pass through it and scan it. We'll try to guess what the various columns and tables represent. We will essentially create this metadata system on top of your database. And we will essentially, well, depending on how you want to use us, there's kind of infotainment mode where you just click around through our x-rays and we will essentially generate dashboards based on what we think you should look at in your database. You can use our kind of row browser data browsing. We just like poke and prod at the various tables, do quick aggregations or slices through them. And then if you want to actually build out dashboards or nightly reports or alerting, that's where you dig in and actually specify what you need. And so there's kind of these three different modes where there's just, I kind of want to like see what's in there and the others I want to explore And the third is I actually have specific reports I need to build. And we kind of try to mix and match all three fluidly. So give me like the day one experience. I plug Metabase into my my data warehouse. What value am I extracting from this application on day one? I think from day one, I even say like minute 15, you have a way for other people in your company to look at the data in the database. Depending on who they are, they can either use SQL, they can use our non-SQL kind of GUI query builder. They can just explore by clicking around. And so within you know five or 10 or 15 minutes, you essentially have an inter- a window onto your data that anyone in your company can use. In terms of day one, what most people end up doing is they'll create a couple stock queries or questions as we call them, and maybe a dashboard or two and pass those around. And I think one of the key things about Metabase is that we are designed for multiplayer mode. So it's not so much that I am landing and it's day one for me. It's more I'm landing and it's a day one for my team or my company or whatever institution I'm in. And it's the ability for people just to pass links around and to you know, collectively explore through their data that makes us interesting. And part, you know, this is kind of, I think there's always the promise of this with all tools. And I'd say that like all tools, we've just taken it a little further. And for us, the way this manifests is that it's just very easy to create little ad hoc queries and ad hoc reports, and that you can deep link them, pass them around Slack. You can save them into your own personal folder or kind of like the global folders for everyone. And in general, it's the, hey, look at this kind of conversation that we facilitate most. 
So it's like a discovery mechanism for finding interesting ideas within your data? I wouldn't even make it so high-minded as that. I think maybe one way to think about it is we're the dark matter of analytics, where if you talk to people that have all kinds of, you know, ideas about what their data can do for them and they can monetize their data and they have like all these aspirational lofty goals, I think where we fit in is just the glue. So if you're trying to look at, you know, the rows in a table that have a timestamp that's still without a time zone, you can kind of do that. If you're looking at like, you know, if you're trying to keep track of how far migration is run and whether it's complete or not, if you are looking at the last 10 signups and want to see if the IPs are normal, you can do that. If you want to dig into, you know, whatever your application data from your app in your application database holds, again, you can just kind of like do a quick sanity check. You can also do things like, huh, I wonder of the people that signed up in this uh, zip code, how many of them have actually done something on the site? And it kind of mixes and matches this idea that you can browse through the actual data itself. You can create time series and like charting and all the, all the things that usually define a BI product. And you can also do quick mapping and just, again, like, it's the lightweight exploration that you then save as dashboards that defines Metabase. So Metabase does allow you to have these different complexity levels of querying. Can you explain what that means? What what are the different purposes of different types of querying in Metabase? I think the the fundamental kind of query is that you're using our GUI to essentially behind the scenes construct a query. And so there's maybe four different tick points in complexity. Um, the most complex is you want to dive into SQL and you want to use SQL templates and you want to essentially build fairly complicated queries for yourself or others. Um, this is what people end up doing when they have a very, very specific thing they're trying to, t- to pull up, as well as where their data is not necessarily structured to make it easy to, for end users to slice and dice on their own. There's kind of the slicing and dicing by end users where you know, you know that you want to say, look at your transactions table and see how many chargebacks happened. Then you want to say, graph that by time and maybe filter that down to just the US. And within our GUI, there's also a notebook mode where if you want to construct fairly complicated queries using joins and calculations and kind of nested sub nested series of queries, you can. And then what we call infotainment mode is when you're just using our x-rays. And so that's where you say, I'm curious about you know, this specific data set, can you just kind of blow it up for me and tell me what's in there? And that tends to be the more exploratory. And again, it's not necessarily things you'd use to run your business off of, but it does let you at least see some patterns in the underlying data. Take me through the life of a query in Metabase. So I'm going to use the, uh, we call the query builder um, as the starting point. So you will essentially select what data set you're interested in querying. So for example, most people would be a, a database table. So you'd pick the table. We reference tables you know, using our metadata. So if you have an ID, you would then, you know, behind the scenes, the, the interf- you'd use a relatively fluid interface, but behind the scenes, we'd be constructing aggregation clauses, uh, filtering clauses, as well as, you know, calculations and um, calculated columns and other behind the scenes, that would then get kicked back to the backend server where it gets expanded out. So the metadata gets injected, 
And then that is typically that query will be an MBQL, which is our query language. That then gets sent to our query processor, which is effectively a transpiler, and we'll figure out what the target database is and essentially transpile that MBQL query into whatever dialect of SQL or no or non-SQL query language that database needs. It then gets sent over to the database, it executes, it comes back. Um, we do a little bit of just massaging of things as they come back and we'll analyze the results uh, for things like trend lines or linear regression. And then we'll send it back down to the front end client where it gets graphed or displayed in other ways. So is that to say that whatever query I issue to Metabase, there's a query translation layer that gets issued to the underlying database? Yeah. So there is, if you're using a completely vanilla SQL query, so you're doing a select one, that will get passed through as is. We do have SQL templates and those do get interpolated on the backend. And if you're using our uh, graphical querying tools, then you're constructing MBQL queries that then get, again, translated to whatever dialect we need and then kicked down to the database itself. And does that mean that, well, you'd ha you have to write query translations for all the different underlying data warehouse technologies and databases, right? Yeah, so we have what are called database drivers, which if we were to do it all over again, we'd name something else. They're effectively transpilers. And so we'd go from MBQL, which is our lingua franca, and that's just what uh, queries at rest are represented as and what they're constructed in by the front end. So each database that we support, we will have to write a translation layer from MBQL to its dialect. And this typically, you know, for SQL, we have a, a generic SQL database driver, but there's always something around time zones, casting, and various types that we have to dig into. And there's a fair amount of things we do to scan the database and just build up our metadata model that are fairly specific to each database. And tell me more about that. Like, that sounds like a lot of overhead to have to maintain uh, query translation or interfaces to all the different underlying databases. Yeah, I mean, to have a graphical interface to any number of databases, there, you either have to speak their dialect or you have a single representation that then gets transpiled to the dialect. I think the only alternative would be just to have end users write SQL themselves. And that is the approach used by a fair number of tools. But I think at some point, if you have uh, non-technical end users and you want to give them an interface to do so, you essentially have to go database by database on some level. And so just concretely, you know, MySQL has three different time zone uh, handling. The JDBC driver for MySQL has three different ways to deal with time zones, and they're all a little nuanced and a little broken. Snowflake has their own kind of set of quirks. And so in many ways, we are a great tool to flush out any database quirks of your SQL database. And so there's just is a fair amount of like fairly low level, fairly tedious work that we have to do to make sure that a given database driver is production grade. Let's go through some of the some of the examples of the vocabulary in Metabase to help people understand what Metabase actually is. And I, I'd actually like us to, to have some kind of working example. So could you say 
Like, what is a typical company that has gotten a lot of value out of Metabase? And, and maybe you could describe from a high level how it works and how it provides value to that company. Then we can d- dive into some of the vocabulary. Yeah, I mean, I'll use Gojek as an example. So Gojek is, and I don't want to butcher this, but I think they're a really, they're the Uber of Southeast Asia. So they've been using us for a number of years, and I believe the initial use case was their customer service um, folks. And so they you know have ride sharing they have a number of other uh, services they offer but essentially someone calls in they have questions the ability to look up that person's account the ability to drill through all the information that gojek has collected for about that person uh, and this ability to have standard reports across that use case is i believe what they started off doing and these days uh, my understanding is they're using us company-wide so it's about 8000 people who use metabase day to day everyone from customer service reps to c-suite and in terms of the value they get i think it's a little tricky to define analytics and data access in like the value or the roi perspective i think the fundamental thing we do is make everything move more smoothly and just push data and context to all parts of the company. And so I think for most companies, the, a tool like us or our competitors is kind of necessary just to run the, sh- the whole thing. And so you can kind of go use case by use case and describe value, but the best way to maybe orient folks is at some point, the information in your database has to come out again. And there is the, you know, the application where you'll present that back to users, but there's also just the internal use case where you have to like pull all this stuff and show it to people. And that's a little reductionist, but it does capture kind of the really widespread and general usage patterns that we have. So I'd say that we're in most industries in most countries at this point. I don't know if this is helpful or not, but I'm happy to you know nudge me in a direction that's useful. Well, yeah, let's continue with the the Gojek example. So there is something called a pulse in Metabase. Could you explain what a pulse is and maybe give an example of how that might be uh, applicable to Gojek's usage? Yeah, so a pulse is an email to nightly report. It's meant to be this kind of lightweight thing you get you know, in the morning. You are your inbox and you see, here are the people that signed up last week that never finished their shopping cart. I'm going to make something up for Gojek, but it's like the number of people in my territory that left one-star reviews. And so you get an email Monday morning, you take a look at uh, the results of that, and then that gives you something to do or informs you as to how how things are going in whatever area you're interested in. So if it's you know onboarded customers, you'd, you could create yourself a pulse that essentially gives you a sense of the heartbeat of that. And you'd say, I want this daily, month, daily, weekly, monthly. And it is meant to be fairly lightweight. So we it's not meant to be a dashboard, that it's a, but it's rather something you look at on your phone. And we find, I think, Gojek uses pulses very, very heavily. And I believe a lot of their workflows are hand, handled by a pulse showing up with essentially a list of things to do. So for example, the previous example of you know, one star reviews in my territory, you'd get that, you'd look at the CSV, and then you'd reach out to all of them potentially to understand what happened. And that's pretty useful compared to, I remember 
what, like probably 8, 10, 12 years ago when the status quo of these kind of nightly reports is like some Hadoop job runs nightly and just gives you a dump of data and then doesn't really tell you that much about what to do. I think with something like Metabase, you get a lot more fidelity into not only what has gone on over the last 24, 48, you know, week, uh, 48 hours or a week, but gives you insights into what direction to go in. Yeah. And maybe like the most compelling thing I'd say from my perspective on Metabase as a user of Metabase is just the ability to take the next click. And so if you were getting the results of a Hadoop job uh, at 7 a.m. and you had a follow-up question, well, that was too bad. Like you could ask someone on the data science or analytics team to you know build you a data query. If, if that question had already been asked before and there was something on a, on a dashboard you could refresh, you could also do that. But if it was a new question, you have to just wait your turn or just not get an answer to it. And a lot of the magic of Metabase as you start wiring it up inside of a company is that you get the pulse, you get the list of one-star reviews in your territory, you dig in and you can say, like, I want to see this by time, like where they clustered in a certain hour. You can slice it up by geography. You can maybe check in on given segments of that set of one-star reviews and potentially see are they related to a given driver. And all of this just falls fluidly out of the pulse as opposed to being something you then have to go ask someone to do for you. And so one way to think about Metabase is that we're automating that ad hoc query workflow that happens in most companies where someone gets a dashboard and then there's like this, the subsequent questions. And those subsequent questions can be answered on your own with Metabase. No. I remember we did a show with a company called Outlier.ai, and Outlier does something similar to what you're talking about with these pulses, where it gets an understanding of what data is being looked at and what kinds of queries are important to surface, and then it surfaces all kinds of information about that for you. I'm curious about what your technique is for surfacing what's useful. I mean, do you do you analyze the queries that are coming through coming through the query layer and just kind of supervise that and then use that to inform what kinds of emails you should send to people in the morning. Tell me about what is the anatomy of a pulse. Well, I think one of the most important things to point out is that pulses are made by humans. So there isn't really any kind of automated generation of pulses. I think at some point a human said, I'm really curious about one-star reviews. And so we're not trying to infer user intent here. We're just giving them a super lightweight tool such that anyone, regardless of their sophistication, can, do, can create a pulse on their own. So the magic is not so much in us guessing what you want as it is in letting anyone in your company do it themselves. And again, to take that second step themselves. And so the easiest way to think about Metabase is that we are a way for the 80% of your company that's a little intimidated by Excel and pivot tables to ask their own questions and to, again, create their own dashboards or create their own pulses. So there's also the ability to view visualizations and saved questions from Metabase. And I'd just like to get a better understanding for some of the other ways in which people use Metabase and what impact it has on an organization. So... One of my favorite examples of this was there was, I believe it's 1-800-Flowers in Britain. 
and they're the largest independent flower shop chain in Britain. They were using us on the factory floor to help um, figure out how to pack boxes of flowers. And one of the ways in which we were helpful to them is the folks on the factory floor started to see certain coupon codes over and over again. And so they sounded the alarm and it turns out that people were fraudulently abusing um, one of their coupon codes. And so that was an example where you know, someone who otherwise might not have had the ability to look up, oh, how many packages have this coupon code in the moment? And then realizing based on their contextual knowledge of their own workflow that this seemed off and then bubbling up the chain. And so I think there's a lot of benefits that come to an organization when people up and down the org chart have access to data on their own. And it lets you harvest kind of the creativity and just the awareness of their own work that folks like all through an organization have, as opposed to a world where you know only analysts write queries and if an analyst didn't dream it up, no one's gonna measure it. And so it creates this decentralized, almost kind of sensor network where everyone just has access to the information relative to their jobs. And that infuses an organization, makes it a little more efficient, a little more crisp, and it'll catch mistakes like the coupon code abuse that I mentioned you know, at the moment when it's happening, as opposed to three months later when the fraud team takes a look at it. And again, like if they had had classifiers or some sort of fraud detection mechanism, they could have set that up, but this is just a flower shop. I'd like to continue going through some of the features of Metabase, then we can talk a little bit about the engineering under the hood. So there's also this term called an x-ray. An x-ray is an automatic exploration of data. How does an x-ray work? So behind the scenes, we have table types or entity types, which are guess as to what the rows in a given table represent. So for example, we have table types of people, of events, of uh, transactions, of photos. And then each of the columns also has a metadata type attached to it. For a given entity type, we have guesses as to how you want to explore it. And so there's an underlying YAML-based language that describes X-ray definitions for specific data types. And then we'll also try to guess which dimensions are interesting. And so all this is encoded up as a set of weights. And we'll do a couple passes through your metadata. The, so through the metadata for whatever, for either the table or this, the column or this subset of data or even the cell of a result set that you're looking at. And then you can, so you can x-ray either a table, you can x-ray a segment of a table, and you can also x-ray the specific cell of a, of a query. And that will essentially expand all that out and it will look for metrics of interest or generate metrics of interest. It will also look for specifically um, high value dimensions that we discover. And it will then just create a dashboard based on those metrics and dimensions. And again, we have a waiting a set of waiting functions and then a ranker that will pick the most interesting metrics and dimensions pairs and display them to you. And what would be an example of when an x-ray would be useful? So typically it's useful in the exploratory phase of either analytics or data science. So um, you get a new data set that you started collecting and you just want to understand the shape of it. So, you know, which dimensions are interesting, which metrics seem to be kind of correlated, how 
you know, what are the ranges of certain fields? Do you have like a normal distribution for over some dimension or is it otherwise are things trending uh, higher or lower over time? And the ability to iteratively just slice an x-ray lets you build up your own understanding of how things are shaped. And then based on that model of how things are shaped, you can then go in and do whatever work you're trying to do. But it's that initial orientation that x-rays are supposed to provide. Tell me a little bit more about Metabase as a monitoring platform. Because you've described it as something that provides kind of nightly updates and insights that are useful on an ad hoc, uh, or I guess on a, on a scheduled basis. But what about as an ad hoc monitoring platform for surfacing problems that might be going on across the infrastructure? I think once you move to infrastructure, it gets a little less useful. So we don't do real-time polling of databases. And so inherently, kind of the monitoring cadence or cycle time that you'd have is on the order of hours and not milliseconds. And so if you're looking at infrastructural things where there's our infrastructural issues where, you know, the time granular you need is like milliseconds, we don't work as well. I think where we work really well is a monitoring layer for the business. And so with that, you know, the cycle times or cadences of interest are more daily. And so it's like, what happened yesterday? Like, did anything strange or anything strange happen? Did users behave a certain way? Did our transactions fall off? Did orders, did more orders get, did fewer orders get completed yesterday than the previous three days? And so when you have a kind of time cycle of days, we're very, very useful. I think as you compress the granularity down to kind of machine speed, just because we are largely federating queries down to data warehouse and waiting them to come back, we're a little less useful. But we, people still do definitely use us for that. Okay. Let's talk a little bit about the engineering. The deployment mechanism of Metabase, I could self-deploy it because it's open source. But tell me about how Metabase is typically used or deployed. I'd say at this point, 99.999% of our users self-host. We've tried to make it very, very easy for companies to just spin us up however they run Docker or if they're JVM shop, however they run jars. We have some recipes for Heroku and AWS and some other places. And so that's the primary deployment model. And so I think the usual pattern is, hey, this is kind of cool. I pull it down. I run the Docker image. Huh, this is really cool. You show it to someone. And then at that point, people start being invited to the instance. We are in like the worst kept secret ever in a dark beta for a hosted Metabase offering. And so we are actually starting to offer kind of a, hey, I want you to host it for me story for Metabase. But I'd say like even going forward, we expect self-hosting to be the primary way that people interact with Metabase. Is there something that's been particularly difficult about creating a hosted version of the product? I mean, I think offering up hosted services at a consumer grade level is always really hard. And so I think that, you know, in our case, there's a lot of billing that we need to take care of. We have an enterprise edition of a Metabase that we also have to support. I think one of the things that we've taken very, very seriously through the entire process is just security and privacy. So we have, the main technical challenges in building out hosting product have revolved around just isolation. 
And so having there be a fairly hard barrier between different customers' data. And then just kind of having the whole thing be largely self-healing and um, toaster-like. And so we've always been a small team that's kind of bats way above or punches way above our weight. And with hosting, we don't necessarily want to just, yeah, hire up a huge team to, to run servers. And so we've been automating things a lot and it's just been the gradual process of, of sanding things down and making them bulletproof. Did you use the word toaster-like? Yeah. So it's been one of our aspirational values on the, on the engineering team, which is toasters just work. You put bread in, you press the button and you get toast. And so one of the things we aspire in the systems that we build is just to have them be that straightforward. Like there aren't a zillion knobs, things kind of just work. And I think that's been one of the core strengths of Metabase, the product, where, you know, it is a pretty complicated product in a very complicated space, but we've tried to retain kind of the idea that like, you know, there's a fundamental thing that you do, which is you look at your data or chart it, and it's very easy to get there and it doesn't require a lot of fanfare. The server side of Metabase is mostly written in Clojure. And at the beginning, you started off with Python and Django. You switched to Clojure later on. Tell me about the decisions in programming languages. I think in general, we've always had a pretty pragmatic engineering culture on the team. I think uh, I actually wrote the Python version, I guess, six or seven years ago now, uh, while I was at Expa. And it was just something that I both wanted and I think the companies that we were supporting got some value out of. And so that was just the language that I was most fluent in at that time. And so, you know, I kind of used what I knew. And running it for a while, I think the main reason we switched over to something other than Python was the installation story. So I kind of mentioned earlier that we're trying to make it really easy for people to self-host. And and the the decision to move off of Python was largely driven by that, which is we wanted the ability to create a dirt simple, very robust installation and setup process. And we wanted to, you know, not have the, all the, you know, pip hell that Python projects involve when people are running them. So if you're a Python developer, it's pretty easy to set up your dependencies. It's pretty easy to deal with like the inevitable weird cruft that happens. You probably have a virtual environment story that's kind of muscle memory for you at this point. Um, for folks that aren't you know, heavy into the Python world, it's a kind of a pain. And so our our general footprint that we were looking for was it's one file or one image, it's up or down, and it comes with everything within it. And so that, and the other part was we wanted uh, pretty robust database drivers. And so we poked around and ended up essentially wanting the database drivers and the threading model of a JVM. So we started off trying to port it to Scala and realized that because of what we're doing with the um, database drivers, we're constantly going against the grain of what um, the Scala database ecosystem wanted to do. And so we eventually switched gears and rewrote it in Clojure. But that's ended up being a great decision. I think we're all pretty happy with it at this point. Metabase can be run from a jar can be run from a java jar i think that's because closure closure gets transpiled into java right or compiled yep. out of java exactly yeah so are there advantages disadvantages to running on the jvm uh, yes very much so so i think the advantages are 
it's all pretty durable and it all is pretty well understood. So the JVM has a lot of warts, but a lot of folks are very conversant in it. One of the biggest advantages was just we can build one binary and there's literally a single jar and that jar works wherever. And the fact that it's a single file is very useful. The fact that there's just a single command to get things going is very useful. The ability to embed a database alongside it is very useful. And so, and the other thing which I think is underappreciated is that the database drivers just have been banged on for a number of years. And I think that, you know, we, Metabase the application tends to be borderline abusive towards the JDBC support of a given uh, driver. And so, that was one of the big, big components of all this, which is we wanted robust, mature uh, drivers we could depend on. And so things like the node ecosystem at the time was still kind of coming up and we were a lot less certain. Oh, and just like the fact that there is very, very wide support for all kinds of databases with, with, with the JVM. Downsides have largely kind of centered around memory consumption and spin up time. There are a lot of constraints that we impose on ourselves due to the fact that it takes about a minute to 90 seconds for the JVM and for all the closure classes to get pulled in. And so that has been a bit of a drag. And I think overall, like net-net, it's definitely been worth it. And I don't, uh, I think, I don't believe that we would have been as successful as we were had we gone another route. Have there been any particularly difficult areas of engineering that would be worth us to uh, explore in in more detail? We've done lots of things that are quote unquote hard. And so, you know, there's like ML algorithms that are through there. We have a compiler. Um, I think the the source of the greatest pain was really time zones. And it sounds very mundane. And I think there's a lot of folks that have kind of a heuristic towards how to deal with time zones. But when you have to support arbitrary databases with arbitrary implicit time zones, running arbitrary versions of databases, database drivers, the time zone situation has been kind of nightmarish. And I think that's been one of the, the longest running, just almost trench warfare that we've been engaged in. And I think the sheer number of, of quirks between databases is staggering and this has been especially problematic for us because when you look at a chart and the numbers are wrong, then you lose faith in the tool. And so for us, there's been, there's often time zones where it's not that there's just everything is shifted by a couple hours, but things like, you know, summing revenue by day, it turns out it matters a lot where your day definitions are. And again, if folks look at a, a chart of something like revenue, which they know understand very, very well, and the numbers are off, then they're like, why is this tool broken? And so things like having to dig into how timestamps are serialized and deserialized within the JDBC drivers themselves, uh, how they're serialized and deserialized on the various databases as they hit the wire, and then just having to just do the almost chain of custody for a given timestamp all across the layers of database, JDBC connection on the database side, the transmission, JDBC on the on the back on our backend server, whatever closure implicit time zone conversions happen, and then also having it be pushed down to the, the client has been really, really fun. You know, I it's been a while since I worked as a software engineer, but I think anybody who has worked in enterprise software for a long enough time 
has encountered difficulties with time zones. You know, I think it's it's just hard because it's one of those things that doesn't exactly surface until it's too late uh, if you ship time zone problems to production. So I can I can understand how that would be um, really difficult. Uh, so I guess you do you write a lot of unit tests or integration tests around time zones to uh, future proof yourself. Yeah. So as a project, we're pretty serious about our testing story, and I think we've tried we've had a lot of different you know, testing. I don't have to say it's like frameworks over the years, and so we're big into um, integration tests and. Specifically with time zones, you can't really unit test it, or you can, but it's not as useful because so much of where bugs emerge is at the interfaces. And so we do a lot of end-to-end testing. We run our entire test suite on every database that we support, and we're constantly adding to our test suite. And as we discover new strange edge cases with time zone support specifically, we fix them, we wrap it all in tests, and keep going. So I'd say... I don't remember off the top of my head exactly how many tests we have overall, but it's a fair amount. I mean, yeah, so I, I'll have to get back to you as far as actual numbers, but yeah, we do test very, very aggressively. And it's been one of the few ways that we've had to keep everything sane. What about the front end? Tell me the architecture of the front end. So it's a React and Redux JavaScript application. I think we have a couple interesting things going on there. One of them was we split off our kind of meta-based specific craziness into its own JavaScript library that didn't really interact with React or Redux at all, but it was meant to be a place where, you know, uh, MBQL manipulation, parameter coercion, and just things that are specific to metabase and, you know, the metabase source complexity lives and where someone could dive in and start to use that without having to know much past just vanilla JavaScript. You know, we have a fairly complicated... Fr- um, single page app. Um, we use DCJS to visualize things. And so that's its own separate layer. And then and kind of the interaction layer is where the React and Redux um, code all lives. And so we've tried to you know, split things up into layers that let someone dive in and be helpful and or productive without having to learn you know, all the all technology stack we use on the front end. We spend a fair amount of time trying to make the front-end development experience really easy. And so both our metabase lib and then something that's called our entity loader framework, which lets you just do things like get me all the dashboards and then the ability to use dashboards as objects that have methods has been very, very useful. And so our actual kind of interaction code isn't littered with a lot of um, fetching or just, again, metabase specific complexity. And for the most part, it seems to have worked really well. And the entity loader specifically, we like a lot. And so entity loaders really just do things like, you know, again, get me for this specific type that I'm interested in, get me a, you know, a filtered list of them or get me this instance or update this instance. And I think that if, you know, we had doubled down on GraphQL, you know, years ago, we probably wouldn't be using them. But I think they are a very slick and very just the ergonomics feel pretty good when you use them. When you look out at the open source BI landscape, there's not only Metabase, the other thing that comes to mind is Preset. It's a more recent open source BI tool. Do you see this as a a multi-BI tool market? I mean, there's there are lots of different 
applications that we would think of as BI. Do you think of that this is a a multiplayer market, or do you expect that the average company to really pick one BI tool and go deep on it? So a couple of things. One of them is just that analytics has always been crowded. So I don't think there's ever been a time when there was one tool for analytics. You know, I joke that yesterday there were 100 competitors, and a year from now there'd be another 100 competitors. Um, so in general, we don't presume that we're in anything resembling a greenfield world where we've created this industry and we're the only player in it. So, you know, analytics was vibrant and had great solutions before we ever showed up or thought about it. And it definitely has other people doing great things now. I think there's a cup in terms of how companies use BI tools specifically. I think many companies use a lot of different ones. And so I think they're not always couched as BI tools, but they kind of serve the same function. And so even if there's a centralized tool that people have you know, paid for and decided is the mandated way to do analytics, there's typically a lot of other things floating around in the company as well. And often, especially as you get into larger companies, different teams use different tools. And so within you know, one company, there could be 20 different BI tools that are being used across different divisions. So we definitely don't think that we're the only game in town. And there's definitely a lot of really smart people doing a lot of really great things in the space. Have there been any kinds of queries or other types of bottlenecks that you've had to iron out from the presentation layer slash querying layer to the underlying database getting actually uh, queried against? Is there any particular bottlenecks you can point out where you've really had to figure out how to optimize it? So there's a couple pieces to our optimization story. I think one of them has always been the app itself. And we you know, have definitely worked on making the app and the metadata system and the query generation system responsive. I think in terms of user facing or user perceived performance, the single biggest factor is the data warehouse query itself. And so typically everything MetaBase does happens on the order of a couple hundred milliseconds. And then the query gets sent out and it can take anywhere from sub-second to tens of minutes. And so when you're looking at a dashboard and it's slow, it's really unlikely to be MetaBase's fault, so quote unquote. Um, and so there's a couple pieces to data warehousing performance. One of them is we try to just generate better and more optimized queries. And so we've definitely worked a lot on you know, being smarter on how our nested queries interact with indexes. We've tried pretty hard to work on casting appropriately date columns in a way that respects indexes on different databases. And so there's kind of the, the N database drivers all have their own performance optimization um, work. The other thing is we do try to help uh, our users construct better queries and better schemas. And often, the most important determinant of performance is how well your schema matches your query patterns. And so things like pre-computation, things like changing the shape of data at rest uh, are all the things you end up having to do to grind down performance from like a 10 minute query to a 10 second query. And those happen outside of you know, MetaBase proper, but they're still an important, an important step in making users happy with us. You've worked in the data landscape for a pretty long time. You've been founder and CTO at multiple different companies. How have you seen the data and analytics field change in the past few years? 
I mean, one of the most interesting kind of paths was the rise and fall of NoSQL Hadoop. And I think, you know, for a couple of years there, SQL was dead and everything was either Mongo or Hadoop or something else. And I think SQL is definitely back and I think has cemented its place. Um, so I think that's been one of the most interesting uh, shifts. I think the the degree to which data warehousing is a commodity is also kind of is very interesting and has been a, a pretty tectonic shift. So the ability to go to Google, give them your credit card, and potentially scale up to hundreds of terabytes without any drama is a pretty big deal. Ditto Redshift, Ditto Snowflake. And so I think the overall access to top of the food chain data warehouse technology that anyone has just by handing over a credit card is pretty incredible. And I think the degree to which data warehousing is an impulse buy, where you know it does take you 20 seconds or so to provision a Redshift cluster but it all happens pretty fast and it's all self-service. And that's where whereas in the bad old days, it'd be like, I'm going to set up a Hadoop cluster. I'm going to install software on the nodes. I'm going to then like have a care and feeding of this cluster. And nowadays it's just like, yeah, I just press a button and a Redshift cluster pops up. Uh, that's been pretty incredible to like work to see happen in my professional uh, life. Why didn't the NoSQL era work out? I think it was always too many things under one tent. And so if you think about Mongo, I'd say Mongo did work out. But Mongo's primary place, in my opinion, was just that it had an incredibly low cognitive impedance between a developer's mental model of how, how data structures worked and how to persist them on disk. I think Hadoop was a different story, and you can kind of separate out of the HDFS story from the MapReduce and then Hive and Spark story. Arguably, it did work out, and you know Spark is still a really big deal. But I do think that SQL as a querying language is kind of all right. Like, you know, SQL isn't the greatest thing ever, but it's pretty solid. It's pretty easy to learn. There's a ton of resources for people to learn it. There's a ton of tools that speak it natively. And I think in general, a lot of us underappreciated the degree to which the SQL ecosystem had answers for a lot of the problems that we were solving in this ad hoc fashion in the Hadoop world. And I think the writing kind of was on the wall from the Impala and Presto days when it was just like, okay, well, I guess what we're really doing is writing a storage layer for you know massively parallel SQL databases now. What are the biggest engineering challenges in the near future for Metabase? What are you focused on the most? I think performance, especially, again, with the data warehousing performance, so our ability to preemptively translate or um, transform data on behalf of our users, the ability for us to better give them feedback and suggestions as to how to improve performance. We're trying to do, consistently trying to do more around our metadata ontology and our ability to you know, move from infotainment mode on the automated x-rays to something that's actually useful day to day. We are trying to clean up our embedding story. And so having there be just crisper and more customizable embeds. And then we're always just trying to get a better handle on the database driver world and both in terms of uh, reliability and durability. And again, making it as much of a toaster as possible. And so there's a mixture of like the very boring and like day-to-day cleanup bugs, right? Better testing, as well as the more aspirational 
kind of taking x-rays to the next level that we're also excited to do. As a parting thought, if there's a company out there that's listening to this and they're thinking about using Metabase, their their curiosity is now peaked. Would you have any suggestions to kind of prod them over the edge to trying it out? I'd say it, it's a very low cost decision. You go to metabase.com, download the Docker image, connect it to your database to just see if you like what what's there. We've made it very easy for folks to download us and set us up. And I would encourage everyone to view it as just something to try out as opposed to this big, heavy decision to make. And we generally found that once people see what access to data we provide, that they generally like like us and keep us around. So yeah, go out, try it out. It's super easy to at least see what we do, and hopefully you'll get value from it. Okay. Well, Samir, it's been really great talking to you about Metabase, and it's quite a quite a great modern data engineering product. So congrats, and I look forward to following in the future. Thank you. Much appreciated.